Tulsa has completed the sweep of the Toros. Big win down in Edinburgh. We'll review that match and go into those details. Also, MLS, USL, NASL, all in action this weekend, and we'll cover all of that. And big win for my Gunners in the FA Cup because nothing makes sense in soccer sometimes. And we'll touch on some of that, and also we are one week away, one week closer to the U.S. Open Cup, my favorite thing in the world. I have Andrew Breesey, freelance blogger, covering Chattanooga FC, and he will give his take on the Chattahooligans and what they are expecting for the 2017 campaign. But folks, you know, we had a stormy week in Tulsa. You may have had to get inside the house and get away from the pillows, the blankets. You have to get all that stuff because it was stormy this week. It'll be stormy again. It is time for another episode of the Tornado Alley Sock Podcast. It is another week, another awesome week of the Tornado Alley Soccer Podcast. It's your host, your buddy here, Roger Graham. We're going to take you through all the USL, NASL, MLS action this week. Uh, And also, you can find us, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Uh, There's an RSS feed, so you don't have to subscribe to anything. You can just go to the website at bgn.fm, and you can find the Tornado Alley Soccer Podcast click on it. Everything's there for you. And you can also look at the other podcasts. We've added um, BGN's added uh, the back chat guys over at Colorado Springs. So it's kind of your one-stop shop. We're, we're expanding in the BGN and there are several, several great podcasts covering all sorts of soccer. Go ahead, check those guys out. They do a phenomenal job. But here in Tulsa, big result, big win. Rastabouts are excited. 1-0 victory over the Toros in RGV. So this means Tulsa has completed the season sweep of RGV Toros. Uh, that's a little bit of a surprise because RGV, uh, another playoff team, but boy, it looks like Tulsa has had their numbers over the past couple of years, and a lot of teams have had tough times getting results against these guys. Uh, they're a great team, and for whatever reason, Tulsa came up big. Well, not for whatever reason, but they did come up big in Edinburgh, Texas. Long trip, 14 hours. I know the lads, they had to leave Thursday to make that trip. Just to give them some time to adjust and and not have to make that trip all in one felt swoop. So I know they had a couple of stops along the way just to kind of get out, stretch your legs. And it worked. It worked. Whatever it is, don't do anything to mess it up. Uh, the big the big goal, uh, Jaime Ayala, awesome goal, came across the box, puts it up in the 52nd minute, uh, was the difference in that match. But, you know, really, uh, to me, watching the first half, it was kind of hard because there was that wide-angle lens of the, of the video broadcast. They would zoom in on the corners and then kind of back out. So it was kind of hard to see who was – you know, getting getting the action, who was playing a lot, who was t- getting a lot of touches, you, you couldn't really tee. And I was at um, Empire, so we didn't have the, uh, the, the vocals or the audio going either. So uh, really kind of hard to see, you know, who was playing, who was getting the big touches. But from what I could tell, uh, you know, Calistri, uh, Rivas, uh, who almost had a really nice goal, just was saved out um, by the goalkeeper, at Rio Grande, otherwise uh, 
uh, he would have had probably another goal of the week type uh, type goal there. But yeah, he got a got a good rip there towards the end of the match. Uh, interesting starting lineup. A new goalkeeper uh, played Serta. He he actually played his first match, which we kind of anticipated that he would be the starter once uh, he got uh, cleared and and got a little few reps at work or at the practice. So Serta was in, and then uh, of course you had on the back line Kimura, Corrales, Ugarte. Shadama, which is becoming kind of the staple there. It looks like Jadama and Ugarte are both, or Ugarte is back healthy and got the nod there. Uh, Rivas, Kalistri, uh, and uh, Ayala in midfield, along with Kafa up top. And it looks like we went with the 4-4-2 type setup. So we have Fontessen and Mata in uh, both at the same time, which I was excited to see. You've got the big target guy, and then you've got the there's kind of shadow striker, false nine type player in Mata who kind of come in behind Svantessen. But it seemed like they were kind of on one side or the other uh, most of the match. But there were some opportunities for Mata and, and Svantessen uh, early on. And I thought they did a did a, a serviceable job there at, at forward. But, you know, obviously on the road, you've got to play a little more defensive-minded, more counterattack strategy. But it was interesting because, to me, I thought – uh, and while I was talking to uh, uh, Jesse Easton during the match, and we were just kind of trading notes there during the during the game, and and you know he'd kind of he and I both kind of noticed that uh, Rio Grande would look like they were the counterattacking team. It looked like they were setting back, and then when Tulsa was attacking or committed numbers forward, they would dispossess and run it back. But obviously, a little bit different than the long ball strategy used in the uh, first match at One Oak, so. Uh, Coach Gonzalez there uh, making the changes to strategy to see if it could do something a little bit different. But anyway, uh, I thought I thought the score could have been uh, two nil, three nil for the Roughnecks. They had a lot of opportunity just right in front of the box. I know the shots on goals won't shots on target, whatever you want to call it, won't reflect the amount of chances that Tulsa had inside the box. They, they brought the ball into the box quite a bit. A lot of the a lot of the shots were deflected, or uh, you know, one of their back lines guys have cleared it off the line uh, several times, several times. And and their goalkeeper, to his credit, made a, a lot of great saves. And Enjoyata, Enjoy Anyway, however you say his last name, did a, he did? I thought he did a good job in, of getting those uh, balls cleared off. And and there was a couple of goals that probably should have went in if he didn't make a play they would have for sure uh kind of the tell of the tape here uh, Tulsa and the the possession was pretty even uh, I think I'm seeing 50 50 on possession so not you know not a big advantage for one team or the other there uh, Tulsa had four offsides so they, uh, you could tell that Tulsa was being the aggressor uh, in that match for sure all right and then we'll look at here at the shots on target it was interesting. There was officially, per the USL stats, there was two shots on target for Rio Grande and three for Tulsa. But like I said, it seemed like we had a lot more shots. And they're seeing shots. We had 12, 12 and 12 apiece, uh, just weren't on target. Uh, five blocked for Tulsa. So, yeah, like I said, lots of shots. I thought just felt like there were shots that were blocked. Uh, it seemed like maybe a mishit or... I know there's one Svontessen's running through the middle of the box, 
ball was uh, played in. I think it was either Kalistri or Kafa. I can't recall who it was, but played it in perfect play. Bounced, got a little bit uh, wonky on the bounce and tried to make a play on the on, on first look at like, like, oh my gosh, Spontessen missed a wide open shot. But then when you went back and looked, it was, oh, the ball bounced up pretty high. It would have, even for a six foot six tall uh, in Spontessen, it was a really, would have been a really tough, um, tough play to make for him, even at that height. <laughs> so, uh, but there was, I, I thought I was more encouraged with seeing more crosses uh, get picked up in the box. Uh, it seemed like Tulsa didn't get their pockets picked very much. There was once, I think, uh, I think it may have been Jadama, if I'm not mistaken, got got dispossessed there in the midfield, but people got back fast enough to where it was nothing to it. And the ball, you know, returns back for Tulsa. So I think, I think very solid effort, solid win for Tulsa and good effort by all positions. Uh, to contribute to that win. But boy, those 1-0 victories are, boy, you're sweating it out. Anything, just one little mistake, and all of a sudden you're you're behind or you're tied. And, and it seems like always those 1-0 matches, it always comes down to some weird thing happening in stoppage time. And so you have to watch the whole game and, and just be watching with bated breath the whole time. But anyway, good victory for the Roughnecks. And right now, just thumbing through the uh just for kicks and grins actually we'll, we'll wait we'll wait to jump through the table as we'll get to review and preview some of these other matches for the weekend and i'll go ahead and discuss a little bit of mls action we won't get into too much detail here uh chicago went down on friday to toronto fc three one loss there to chicago tough time that's a tough place to play on the road there in Toronto. Uh, a few other results here. FC Dallas getting it done on Saturday against a, kind of a regional rival there with Sporting Kansas City. Uh, 1-0 victory there. I think Figueroa had the goal. Uh, Atlanta United on the road at Salt Lake City. Doesn't matter. 3-1 result there. And somebody made a funny, in- interesting point. Maybe it was Jesse Easy and I were talking. I wonder if the Monarchs could uh, play could beat RSL right now. Interesting thought because one team is in really good form and the other isn't. But realistically, I think there's just a little bit too much uh, quality there at RSL. But interesting. I'd like to see them play each other. That'd be a fun match. Uh, Houston getting it done at home against San Jose because everybody beats San Jose at home. 2-1 or 2-0 victory there for Houston. And a few other results. Portland to uh, Vancouver Whitecaps one. So yeah, it's uh, there's a few more matches here on Sunday. Galaxy hosting Seattle, Minnesota hosting Colorado, and NYCFC hosting Orlando. So uh, right now, just out of curiosity, if you want to look at the standings, I know it's kind of an unbalanced and there's still matches to go, but Columbus Crew still on top of the East. Uh, and actually Columbus crew and Red Bull New York are both at top 13 points followed by Orlando city, Orlando United, Chicago fire now in fifth NYCFC in sixth, tied with Toronto FC in the West. You have Portland Timbers with 16 points, FC Dallas with 14 dynamo with 13 sporting Kansas city, 12 San Jose earthquakes, nine RSL eight. And then 
of course, there's matches that haven't been played. There's teams, uh, FC Dallas only played six matches, whereas Timbers played eight. So there's still a lot to be determined, a lot of teams jockeying for position here, and the only team that looks like really nobody's really out of it. I mean, last place is the Rapids, but they have four points through five. So, I mean, they can make a little bit of a run there. Philadelphia Union is the only team that's kind of in trouble, in my opinion. They have three points through seven matches. I think everybody else is is – or, you know, right in the mix and can make a run if they need to. Anyway, that was the MLS action for the week. And and right now I would like to make a, to have a little bit of a transition. I know we're still talking U.S. Open Cup. And for those teams out there that do listen to the podcast, I still want to hear from you. If you're in the Open Cup, I'd love to hear from you. Get your story out there. So I love, love non-league, amateur league, NPSL, PDL, good stuff those are i think that's where the rubber hits the road as far as uh, soccer in the united states is concerned that's where i'd love to see and am loving seeing all this growth at that level but i have andrew Breesey. he covers chattanooga fc we've already had uh, andrew pierce charlotte eagles so we're going to cover both ends of that match there with a chat of hooligans and what he's anticipating this year for Chattanooga FC, and we'll take it away. All right, folks, I have a, a special guest on to talk. Chattanooga FC, Andrew Breezy is on, and a uh, big fan, occasional blogger. And uh, Andrew, how, how's it going today, man? I am doing awesome. I'm getting really pumped for Chattanooga FC season. We were tifoing all last night, painting, tracing, and part of the morning this morning. So very, very good. Very good day. Man, you guys are getting started early. Uh, for, I guess your first match is what? on the Is it the 10th still, or do you all have a match before the 10th of May? That is correct. May 10, we go to Charlotte to play the Eagles of the PDL in the U.S. Open Cup. Nice. Have you guys ever uh, locked horns with them before? No. Uh, my understanding is they were a professional team mm-hmm. uh, before a few years ago, and since they've been a PDL team, we have not played them. But yeah. we do have a former player that uh, we share in common, James Moore, mm-hmm. the longtime captain of Chattanooga FC, played for uh, their professional side. Well, yeah, and it's interesting because both teams have been pretty successful, have made playoff runs. I know they're PDL and you guys are in PSL, but it's, I mean, it's only just a few hours away from each other, and, and it just tells you how, I guess, how big and, and, and growing the soccer, is, the soccer scene is there in the southeast part of the United States, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, and I've heard Charlotte is just packed with lower division soccer teams. Mm-hmm. There's five or six that uh, could have potentially been in this draw if you know all the things had gone uh, one way or the other. So mm-hmm. pretty, pretty awesome that we're seeing this kind of growth in the South. Yeah, and I always feel like just you know looking at this holistically uh, that the Southeast has been a little bit underserved on the professional circuit. But boy, uh, you know, you see Atlanta showing up. You know, fans showing up for Atlanta, and and to me, and and. You know, obviously you have the big support in Chattanooga, but do you think that's just something growing in that region or is it just it's always been there and and there's finally teams that are playing uh, soccer in that area now? I think it's something that's really growing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Atlanta's a big transient city, and I don't mean that in a positive or negative way. There's just a lot of people who didn't grow up there. And so I think you're seeing a movement soccer 
interest. Look at the Silverbacks. They didn't have great attendance. They didn't have great support, uh, at least in overall numbers. Mm -hmm. And they were around for quite a long time. And then you see what Atlanta United is able to do, and it's night and day difference. And I'm not sure all the factors there are population-related. That The growth of Atlanta uh, as a metro area certainly contributed. And then you see NPSL teams and PDL teams sprinkled throughout uh, Tennessee, Georgia, mm -hmm. Alabama, the Carolinas. You know, there's a lot of teams out there now playing and drawing hundreds of fans. So sure. I just think it's something that's really growing as opposed to maybe 10 years ago when uh, the landscape was a lot different. And uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I, obviously Chattanooga FC has uh, uh, been, you know, tapped into that and have been, I mean, the crowds there, every people have talked about the, the largest crowd in fourth tier soccer history against Cosmos B. Uh, what, what do you think has contributed to those large crowds and, and that big fan support in Chattanooga? So obviously a winning product is mm -hmm. very, very important and a professional product uh, in standard, maybe not in actual professional players on the field has been very helpful for Chattanooga FC. The game day experience is that of a professional side, good concessions, there are alcohol sales, unlike many NPSL teams. Sure. Uh, they play in a 20,000-seat stadium that is a stadium that could host MLS teams. We hosted one in February. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I think more than anything, Chattanooga FC has become the team uh, of Chattanooga. The connection to the community is really, really strong. Chattanoogans tend to have a big sense of civic pride, not just sure. sporting pride. So an interesting tidbit that... I see is that we don't have a single Premier League bar in Chattanooga, a mm -hmm. bar that's open at 7.30 in the morning on Saturday or Sunday mornings for the English Premier League. Mm -hmm. It's not a thing. So I wouldn't call us a soccer town. We, we have plenty of youth soccer players like anywhere else, but sure. you look at Chattanooga FC games and you talk to the people there, and many, many times the people you're speaking with are not soccer fans first. Mm -hmm. They're Chattanooga FC fans first who came to the game through Chattanooga FC, through the team that's done a, a really good job of representing their city sure. and they're excited to be out there. And it's nothing to do on Saturday nights in, uh, in Chattanooga during the summer. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, obviously it's a hotbed. It's like here in Oklahoma, it's a hotbed for American soccer or I'm sorry, football, you know, college football, professional football, uh, I'm talking on the, I guess, football as an NFL and college football, but, uh, and then it's like, well, what else are you going to do in the springtime? You know, it's, it's, and I've always kind of argued like, Hey, what, you know, I know baseball is kind of big here in Tulsa, but you know, it's, it's something to do in the spring while there's not American football going on. Right. Yeah. I mean, we have a successful minor league baseball team in mm -hmm. town and they do quite well. They draw good crowds, but it, it's really interesting to see how soccer has grown I mean, we have had two national team visits in the last three years now, and it is something totally different for a southern city. Sure. I know that towns in Texas, and I assume Oklahoma, you know, towns of 15,000 people have 10,000 people out for a, a college football game or a high school football game on mm -hmm. Friday nights, and it's a little bit like that, I think. It's the thing to do. It's the cool thing. It's where you see your friends, and it's, you know, something that's growing, so that whole perfect storm uh, creates a lot of interest around Chattanooga FC in this case, and I think around soccer in the South, looking at Atlanta United and others. Sure. And, uh, absolutely. And, and hopefully we can get those Friday, Saturday night lights in the springtime that we do in the fall. So we'll, we'll see if that continues and sounds like it's going on there in, uh, in Chattanooga, but we'll go ahead and just kind of 
turn our focus on the field. Uh, is Chattanooga, have they made some announcements for players, or are they still kind of getting some guys uh, finalized on, on, on Chattanooga's side? We do have a, a full roster release that's happened. Uh, when I say a full roster release, I mean there's enough players to complete out. We don't know if it's complete yet. Sure. They've been trickling out player profiles over the past few weeks. Uh, interesting thing for me about this year is that we have the uh, most outstanding player voted on by the NAIA last year in Danny Whitehall coming in as to play striker. So that's a big name and a big get for Chattanooga. Sure. And then you have most of the team core returning. So a lot of familiar faces on that roster. Yeah. Is there is there one or two colleges that they primarily focus on, or is it more of a, a national regional search that oh they get a few, you know like uh, Tulsa Athletic they get a f- quite a few from University of Tulsa because it's you know it's here in town and in some surrounding areas. But do you guys focus more locally, or or do you guys kind of look to get people from a national perspective? They're mostly regional D two mm-hmm. schools that supply our player pipeline. This. Last year and this year, College of Charleston or in West Virginia mm-hmm. um, is a top Division II program. I'd never heard of them before, but they're Charleston, West Virginia. And obviously, having done my research on them now, they're a powerhouse program. They've supplied uh, three players for sure this year. And mm-hmm. I think they've, they supplied three last year as well. And then you have a lot of college coaches that play here, guys that played Maybe they played USL one year, or maybe they just played at a high level collegiately, uh-huh. and then they went on to become assistant coaches, or even in some cases head coaches. Right. In the case of Luke Winter, who's our the CFC's all-time leading scorer, he's now the head coach at his alma mater. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of coaches, a lot of guys that can't coach their players due to NCAA rules during the summer, so they come and they are usually regionally based. A lot of them are within a couple hours from here, mm-hmm. and they come and spend their summers in Chattanooga and then go back to coaching in the in the fall and the spring. Sure, yeah, and that's just kind of interesting. That that's that a lot of a lot of teams do that, and a lot of players and some are you know high school coaches here that you know come back and play. So uh, it's good to hear. And uh, what's from um, what do you think's the special or the secret sauce, so to speak, for Chattanooga FC? It, uh, you know, two years. In the finals, uh, 14, 15 in the finals for uh, NPSL, last year's semifinalists. So there's there's obviously – they're doing, doing something right. And what do you think that that thing that they're doing right is at Chattanooga FC? I think that, number one, the facilities help a lot. Mm. Uh, number two, there's the connection to the community, a winning product on the field mm-hmm. with an accessible group of players. You see the players sign autographs for kids. I mean, they put out barriers on the field and then – all the kids come streaming down on the field after the game and they all group together and wait to get their, their signatures. And then I think uh, an organization that treats the players like they're professionals so sure. that you can continue to attract players who either played at a high level collegiately or maybe played professionally briefly and they want to continue playing and having a good time during the summer uh, but are able to do something that actually makes a lot of money because I think we both know USL and NASL wages in this day and age are, are not very high. Sure. So to be able to play and coach all year then play during the summer, that's a good thing. And then fan support helps, man. Uh, yeah. When there's 5,000 people in the stands as opposed to 200 uh, you know, friends and family, a lot of players come back. We have a lot of guys who have been there four or five years, sure. and that kind of uh, continu- continuity really helps. Yeah. 
and some of those returning players, veteran leadership. I, I think I always see that with teams that are successful. It seems like they always have those guys that same guys come back every year, and some of them that aren't graduated come back and still play. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's that's part of it, and and I, I fully expect uh, Chattanooga FC to be right in the mix and. Obviously, I know the team's not going to look ahead uh, because Charlotte Eagles is a good opponent, and it's on the road five, six hours away from you guys. So, uh, well, let me ask you this. Are you going to make the trip to Charlotte for that match, or do you know there are quite a few uh, Chattahoogans making that trip? I know I am making the trip. All we right. Have a bus. We have a bus we are attempting to fill, and we will have, uh, whether it's several large vans or several large buses, we will see. We will have fans at that game for All sure. Right. And we'll be there to open up the season. It's a Wednesday, a work day. Uh, so that's that's a little rough, but yeah. we'll, uh, we'll make it work. I mean, we have, uh, going back to your previous question about like what was some of the special sauce, we have three or four guys now who play every year for CFC who played here uh, as collegiate players during their summers and then mm-hmm. relocated specifically to Chattanooga and became a part of the community. And they now have jobs as mm-hmm. engineers or as business people, and they work all week, and then they play on their weekends. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, that kind of connection between us and them is, is really key. And then obviously if they can take a Wednesday off and go up and play in Charlotte, then I'm certainly going to find a way to do that as well. Yeah. You may have to take two days off if, uh, if you're celebrating out there, but, uh, maybe, maybe Ooh, get yeah. a, maybe get a half day or something. See if the boss will let you take a, take a half day or something, but, or floating holiday. I don't know how that works, but anyway, yeah. uh, yeah. uh so I know you guys are jacked, excited. Uh, is there any teams in your region that, um, uh, not talking Open Cup, but just in, in the NPSL that you're going to be paying a particular attention to uh, the, of teams that you kind of expect to be uh, competing with uh, Chattanooga FC this year uh, in your region? Yeah, a couple of really interesting teams. We've had a division realignment this year. We've kind mm-hmm. of absorbed some of the Carolina Conference, meaning we've added a couple teams, which is awesome. One of those is Asheville which we will not play in the regular season, but mm-hmm. very excited to see them. They're a similar city to Chattanooga, mm-hmm. a similar vibe. Uh, we are told that they have a great ownership group, and I think they did some consulting with our ownership group, so excited to see what they do. And they have our, our backup keeper from the last two years who also played a lot of games for us as their starting keeper this year, so that will be bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Um, hope to hope maybe see them in the playoffs. And then the Atlanta Silverbacks are back in our division. Okay. You know, their NASL squad folded a few years ago, but they have always continued to have an NPSL squad, which is now their top team. And they are mm-hmm. very good. They are running a bunch of player announcements now, including several former USL and NASL players, meaning that their talent is going to be high for an sure. NPSL team. So we don't play them, coincidentally, because of the realignment and divisions. We don't play them during the regular season either. But I'm most nervous about, about their quality into the season and so that's the team that you guys would end up facing in the uh, regional tournament correct if they if everything lines up correctly right right so the two divi- we have two divisions in the conference we have some cross-divisional play sure. uh, but not full divisional cross-divisional play and then there will be a four-team playoff uh, that we do every year so it should be the top two of each division mm-hmm. uh, and then they will that'll be at the host i don't know where it will be it'll be based on probably on uh win losses in the uh during the season, but yes, sure. we would likely play Atlanta. We expect them, if the past holds true, them to come out of their side and hopefully us to come out of our side, and that'll be a heck of a playoff. Uh, they also have a really good, uh, actually really good, they have a solid fan support for the NPSL. In the NASL, they may not have uh, far 
far exceeded expectations, but in the NPSL, they have very good support. So yeah, uh, um, that's always fun to have supporters on the other side of the uh, of the section to uh, to compete with and to have fun with. Yeah, I think that that that's it. You're right. I mean, I've gone to a few games and. You know, do you have a? There's nobody on the other side, or they're just an apathetic group, or they're not really organized. And it's always fun to have that back and forth between supporter groups. Uh, it, uh, that adds to the intrigue and to the rivalry there. So, uh, so I'll be paying attention to that, and uh, and obviously uh, with uh, Atlanta and all the part, all the teams in the southeast, that growth in that soccer and the game there uh, is always interesting from my perspective. I, 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 it's kind of in the tornado alley. We'll we'll go ahead and adi- adopt it, I guess. You know, for for my podcast, because because I can do whatever I want, right? It's my podcast. So anyway, we'll be paying attention to that and, and paying attention to uh, Chattanooga FC, and we'll see if there may be another Tulsa Chattanooga matchup in the NPSL tournament, uh, as both teams have good quality sides this year. So uh, anyway, Andrew, I'll let you get back to it, buddy. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And uh, tell folks if you have anything to plug or uh, ways that they can interact with you uh, on uh, social media. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Andrew Brzee. Uh, that's at Andrew Brzee, B as in boy, R-E-S-E-E. I am constantly uh, talking lower league soccer. So if that's your thing, uh, hit me up on Twitter. Love to chat. Perfect. Not it's not Andrew Breezy. It's he says Breezy Breezy. So we'll we'll do that and we'll call it good. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much uh, for your time and and best of luck to you and and Chattanooga FC, man. Thank you very much. All right, thank you very much, Andrew, for your time and good insight there with Chattanooga FC and what they all are doing over there. Big time successful program in the NPSL. Oh, right. I think that is going to do it for this week. Uh, Real quick before I let you guys go, next week I will do the drawing to see which listener will be on the podcast. So get the retweets in. Get one retweet. You get one chance to get in to the podcast. Appreciate you guys spreading the love, spreading the news of this podcast. Greatly appreciated. I will give back, get you on here to talk shop. Again, thank you so much, Andrew Breezy, Michael Mitchell, holding it down, doing the production. Great week done. We'll see you again next week. God bless you. Have a good one.